You are listening to a special Ukraine Watch edition of European Values podcast. This episode was created within the frame of the Information Defense Hub with the support of the European Cultural Foundation. It's my great pleasure to welcome you at the next podcast that the European Values are preparing under the Information Defense Hub project. That's a project uh, composing both Czech and Ukrainian expertise. But today we have a very special edition because I'm going to talk to my colleague uh, Andrei Poleschuk, who has just came back from Ukraine. And since it's a pre-Christmas time, we have only four days before Christmas. I would like to focus your attention, the attention of our listeners, to maybe less present, less pleasant things uh, that are not in this kind of festive mode, but they are quite important because there is a country in our neighborhood which is fighting uh, for the values that we also cl- declare to believe in. And that's the country that would have a Christmas uh, season and Christmas period uh, under very difficult conditions. And uh, that would be my first question to you, Andrei what the situation looks like in eastern Ukraine. I know that you were in Bakhmut, so if you could just give us a brief taste or or understanding how the situation looks there on the ground. Uh, First of all, David, thank you for having me here. Um, As for Ukraine, uh, it's it's hard to be here, to be honest. Um, You mean back in Prague? Well, first of all, to be to be in Donbas region, um, it's depressing here. Like um, I've never seen something so depressive as it was in in Donbas. So was. there was no Christmas uh, decoration, no Christmas whatsoever. mood. No, whatsoever. Uh, we were we were kind of uh, close to the front line, or even in Bakhmut. But even in in Kramatorsk, when I was staying. Uh, there is no decorations. There is, there are, like, a small amount of people in here, or in Kramatorsk. Um, the mood is not the greatest, but people are strong and they are committed to in this war. So that was kind of encouraging. Um, but in Bakhmut, it was it was completely insane, to be honest. Uh, we moved through the Chasofiar, which is a city uh, near to Bakhmut. And uh, when we came to Bakhmut, there were several civilians in streets. And we didn't know where to go with the humanitarian aid. And maybe I should remind or, or put a disclaimer on that, because uh, this humanitarian aid was provided by our Palatsky University in Olomouc. Um, firstly, we thought that we will... That we will bring this aid to some humanitarian center in western on center uh, or center ukraine but uh, we decided differently this time because we were close to the front line and we heard that there are some civilians in bakhmut that are staying here some several thousands of them and we moved to bakhmut and we asked people where the humanitarian center is and they told us it's like close to the center so you should go on the road uh, we asked other people about about the center, and then we moved there. And on the on the fence, there was there was um, 
a piece of paper that was stating that there is no humanitarian aid or even water. So there were no other volunteers, any other humanitarian yeah, yeah. deliveries? Yeah, exactly. Um, there, was two, there were two guys, elders um, in their 60s. One of them came and he asked, what, what do we have? And we had uh, clothes, we had um, food for children. Uh, we had a genera uh, generator for, mm -hmm. for, for, the, uh, for the electricity. And he said, at least from his words, that we are the first volunteers after two weeks. Two weeks. And the last volunteers were Americans. Mm. And the stockpile was completely empty. There was nothing, like completely nothing. So we we started to to transferring the the this aid to the stockpile and there was constant shelling like uh, every ten or fifteen seconds there was like grenade falling down falling down even grads were working like um, I was standing here next to the next to the uh, Ukrainian soldier and uh, I heard grads like you know that this is the case because uh, a lot of rockets started to fall mm. uh, onto the ground and onto the buildings and I asked him is that grad and he was like yeah they're destroying the city like uh, city blocks and blocks after block and like in, in one minute or two minutes the first grenade from Russian artillery uh, like exploded next to us like it was like 30 meters from us and after 30 seconds another one and we were trying to be fast as we can to give this humanitarian aid and to go back uh, to less or at least to more safe place but um, yeah we were back at the place where we were staying and we think or we thought that we could go for lunch mm. and we were at the street and suddenly out of nowhere an explosion like 100 meters from us and it was it was like insane like out of nowhere so I was surprised, um, kind of scared, in Bakhmut at least, because, you know, the, the ground was shaking. It was constant shelling. Yeah. Um, maybe let me to try to, again, to back it, to, to bring it back to this comparison of our realities, uh, because also it's kind of part of my own experience, because I was in a similar places uh, already in 2014. And then, uh, then I didn't, I have never ever liked the fireworks on New Year Eve. Will, will you enjoy the fireworks this year in, in, in Europe? When you I, hear these sounds? I don't know how I will react. Because, you know, uh, we in Czechia have every first Wednesday of the month, we have uh, sirens, sirens uh, to check if they work. Uh, when it started in, in December, I was kind of surprised what's going on because you know I was in October we were under the Kherson front line uh, under Krivirich uh, with the with the Zakarpatia brigade and it was the first time that I heard sirens and suddenly the Iranian drone fell to the Krivirich it was it was it was kind of a, like far from us like 15 20 kilometers but still we knew that that it's not a joke anymore and but as for right now there were no sirens whatsoever and just constant shelling, like constant shelling. Yeah. And when we when we left Kramatorsk, uh, the rocket fell in Kramatorsk in the city center. So it was it was tough. I know that uh, quite a lot of my Ukrainian friends here in Prague are always scared 
of the first Wednesday of each month because they hear the sirens or whenever there is a plane or even a let's say civic plane flying over they are starting kind of instinctively to look for some yeah it was, it was a situation <laughs> for us because uh, we were we were staying at that place that we were and suddenly I heard a plane and I was like Oh God! What's what's going on right now? And it was it was it was like flying, I don't know, so really close to the ground. Yeah. And I was like, Russian fuck. Plane? And I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure yeah. if it's like a Russian plane or, or Ukrainian. And after ten minutes, the guys told me that it was Ukrainian. Yeah. But it was and, and it in like an hour there was another plane, also Ukrainian. But you know when you are at the front line or it, it, this this war region. You just cannot be sure if if the plane is not the the last thing that you will see. So, you know, I don't want to force the audience, the the listeners, uh, to be in the shoes of those who are in Ukraine. But the same Ukrainian citizens, uh, quite many of those civilians, even the the ones who are now in the army fighting, for example, in the units of territorial self defense had exactly the same sort of a, a festive mood and uh, they were enjoying Christmas period. I saw even the pictures from last year Christmas in Mariupol, which was full of joy and happiness. And within one year, things can completely turn over and suddenly you hear the similar sounds, but from the real bombs, from real grass, from real planes, military planes. I don't want, as I said, I don't want the listeners to position themselves, but I would like the people in Europe to understand that Ukrainians are going through these difficult moments, uh, the decisive moments for their own existence, for the existence of their families, children and the closest friends. But how can we interlay or how can we bring these two realities together? You are doing it by going there, talking to those people there, then coming back, explaining it to your friends, colleagues, media. But uh, what else could we do? I don't know, to be honest. Uh, I, I don't know. I cannot even cope with the fact that I'm back in Prague, to be honest. Uh, do you feel a guilt or...? No. Um, there is a lot of celebration before the Christmas time in here in Czechia and uh, people... I don't want to blame anyone because it's not their fault, but mm -hmm. uh, I cannot mm -hmm. feel myself to be in that mood, mm -hmm. uh, not at all. And I, I, I see, you know, uh, we were in several cities in Ukraine, in Dnieper, in Vinica, in Khmelnytsky, like in many big cities. And you go through them even after, after like in 5, 5 p.m. It's not, it's like evening, but it's not the night and you see no light like in in the houses you see no light at the streets and it's it's scary to be honest and then you go back to prague and you see all the lights on the streets and this christmas tree that is in in old town square in prague uh i i cannot cope with that to mm. be honest mm. because i i it was such a strong like contrast yeah 
exactly. Uh, you know, I talked about it with some of my Ukrainian friends when I was in Kiev. I was there like two weeks ago, and I was telling them, and there were shortages of water supplies and electricity, and I was telling them like, okay, when I go back home, I will also like switch off uh, electricity or switch all the lights for at least one hour. And they were asking me not to do that. They actually were saying, we want you to have a normal life. Because if you don't have a normal life, uh, it will be also difficult for us to have a hope that one day we'll be in the same situation. So it's a kind of a moral dilemma what to do. But, you know, with that previous question, I actually wanted to provoke you to give some comments on the best assistance to Ukraine, which I think the best assistance are the weapons and supplies yeah. of weapons. Yeah. Helping Ukrainians to finish this unprovoked war, this unprovoked aggression of Russia. And this is why the West yeah, could help we, a we, lot. We need, at least we in Europe, because the US are trying their best with their capabilities that they have. Uh, even Great Britain is doing a great job. Uh, our Baltic friends and our Polish friends, they are doing a great job. But uh, there are several states uh, in Central and Western Europe that, that can do more. Which ones? Germany. France. You know, um, we are speaking about the Germany and they provided Ukraine with some uh, howitzers of PZH 2000. Oh, this Iris? Uh, yeah, defense. air defense systems, but there's there is like few of them. You cannot, uh, even though those howitzers cannot change the situation in the front line, they are great. They have like a, they are long distance, for like 40 kilometers, in the, if I'm not mistaken. But they they need not 10 of them then they need at least 100 of them. Mm. And the same the same thing is for anti-aircraft weapons. They need hundreds of them. And let me stress here that they need them not for attacking somebody, but for defending themselves, defending civilians, exactly. defending their cities, defending their lives. Because, you know, at, at the front line, the war is, the war is done by with artillery. This is, this is the big issue because mm -hmm. uh, not so many soldiers are fighting in this close-range battles in, in, in cities. And I'm not even speaking about the open field. Mm. Uh, but ton of ton of the work of Ukrainian soldiers is done by the, by the artillery. And they need hundreds of them. Not, not, and they need not only Soviet ones, but even Western. Because those Western weapons are like... And it, it's nothing to, to be... Like, let's say... Western weapons are better than Soviet ones that are Russia using or even Ukraine using. And they are more, more effective, they are more precise, precise. and they can do more job with like smaller damage of, of, of the environment. Mm -hmm. So that's what the Ukraine needs. And this is what is not provided enough to Ukraine, unfortunately. How could you, or how would you assess the state of mind of Russians, Russian society? Because this is their country, their army, that is destroying its neighbor without any reason. From I mean, from our point of view. So what's what's wrong with Russians? I don't know. Uh, to be honest, I, I I don't know. They see what their army or their military is doing. They and they are they happy see, to see yeah, that. They, they, they see that, and that, that's the worst part, you know. I, 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 we were, I will tell you a, a mm. short story. We were moving from Donbass back to Czechia by car, and we had like a, 
a radio broadcast turned on and uh, there was a radio station that was speaking about the situation after the the shelling of Ukrainian mm-hmm. cities. And one of the stories was, uh, was um, the one from Kribirich mm-hmm. when Russia was shelling the, the civilian buildings and they killed the whole family in there. Mm-hmm. There was a grandma, 64 years old, then there was two parents and their children, which was uh, half and a year old. And they killed all of them, all of them. And there is, there was, they had another kid, seven years old, and he was, uh, he was in a different place. So now, right now, he's an orphan. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the worst part, because, you know, those Russian artillerists, they know what they are doing. They know that they are shelling civilian buildings. They know that. And they, they do this anyway. And Russian society, there's nothing about that. You know, we are speaking about the Russian liberals and we cannot blame the whole society. But they have to change the regime. They have to go to the streets and they have to take power back. If they will, won't do that, the war won't stop. And the same can be applied to Belarus, to be honest, because Belarus is the part of this aggression. I'm Belarusian myself and I'm speaking this straight. Belarus have, or Belarusians have to go to the streets and take the power back. The same is for Russians. I know it's hard. I know it's it's scary to go to the streets. That you can be in, you can be in jail, you can be sentenced to ten years in prison. But you have to do something because if you want, your society will pay the price, much higher price in the future. And that that's the problem. But the Russian regime is fascist by by its nature. So I I understand that, that it's not that easy, but they have to do their job because Ukrainians are doing they, their part. I mean, they are defending themselves. They are defending the normality, humanity. And the basic, uh, yeah, values. Oh, well, yeah, so as I said at the very beginning, it's a pre-Christmas period. So let's hope that uh, next year when we meet on 20th of December 2023, the war will be over. Ukraine will be the country that uh, restores the borders from 1991. And uh, Russia is the country that is defeated and starts to realize its responsibility and starts to pay the price for that. And all these crimes that their army, their officials, their citizens committed against mankind will be prosecuted and punished. And I think it's very much in the spirit of the Christian Christmas when we are celebrating, you know, the birth of a new life. So this will be also a birth of a new life for, for those who are defending their homes but also defending us so andre thank you very much i think you are doing a fantastic invaluable work also on behalf of being a human being a normal person with normal mindset and values and let's hope the next year will be better one than this one thank you thank you thank you for the invitation so thank you very much for your attention and for the time that you spent with us. That was the EVC podcast covering Ukraine. Uh, let me remind you that you can also subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter in which we analyze the latest development in and around Ukraine. And last but not the least, uh, please follow our social media accounts and profiles on Facebook, YouTube and Twitter where we also publish quite a lot of interesting information and analysis from and about Ukraine.